The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Finals night. Game six coming up this evening. Tuesday, July the 20th. What's happening, everybody? It is episode 47 of our fantasy offseason. The count up to 50, which means uh, nothing at all, actually. It means nothing at all. Because the actual... What the hell are we at now? The actual fantasy regular season ended a little more than two months ago. And next season doesn't actually start for about three months. So it doesn't feel like we're at the halfway point, but I already said it on yesterday's show. As we hit free agency, it's ramp-up time. That's the ramp-up, and it's basically the halfway point then to the actual start of the year. But our our heavy lifting starts at draft season, which is like a full month to a month and a half before the regular season begins. So I would argue that September 1st is kind of the start of our Big push, that's when we can start doing mock drafts and really getting into the the thick of it, the weeds. To that end, we're past the halfway point. Not to the regular season, but to draft season. That's what we should be measuring, too. Zday. That's what today is. So hello, once again, everybody. I'm Dan Baspris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. That's hoop-ball.com, at hoopball tweets on Twitter if you want all the good stuff from all the team feeds and the dynasty stuff and the rookie stuff and all the goodies and the gaming or at hoopball fantasy if you just want the fantasy DFS and full season you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris folks join the hoopball loyalty program told you all about it on Friday and even in more detail on yesterday's show the short version, I'm not going to do eight minutes on it again today. I apologize for that on yesterday's show. I know it ran a little bit long, but I wanted you guys to know exactly what you were getting into if you jumped in. Hoopa Loyalty Program is a very simple yet fancy name for basically saying if you turn on a fantasy subscription, or any subscription rather, Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, or Hoopa 360, and leave it on, you will never have your price adjusted. Okay? That's what the Hoopball Loyalty Program is. If you sign up for the Fantasy Pass now, and if you're already on it, you already have the low price. So if you're already on the Fantasy Pass, the Wager Pass, Hoopball 360, just leave it on, and your price won't go up. You'll be grandfathered into that price forever. Price for life. That's the Hoopball Loyalty Program. To those of you who turned your subscription off for the Fantasy Pass or whatever in the offseason, get it back on now before the price goes up and just leave it on forever. And we might have one, two, three, four, five. I don't know how many times the price is going to go up over the next whatever number of calendar years, but yours won't change. So in 2031, when the Fantasy Pass costs $20 a year. I don't know what what the hell is going to talk in 10 years from now. But whatever it is, 10 years from now, you could still be paying $4.99 a month. And all you have to do is leave it on. 
That's the Hoopball Loyalty Program. Oh, we actually have a uh, shortened link for you now, so that's good. It's bit.ly, bit.ly, for those that are old like me that spell it out, uh, slash HBLoyalty21. That's the short link. So bit.ly slash HBLoyalty21. Hoopball, that's what the AP stands for. HBLoyalty21. That's the uh, the shortened uh, bit. L-Y link, as uh, my good friend Rubens likes to make fun of me for doing. So check that out immediately. Get yourself back on one of these subscriptions and lock in a price for life. Let's talk NBA Finals. And we did a lot of the handicapping on yesterday's podcast, but we didn't get into what I actually think the game script is going to look like for tonight. Once again, the total is set at 222 again. And the Bucks are favored by five back at their place, Fiserv Forum. And to that, to, so far, that's actually been relatively accurate. They've been flip-flopping it back and forth by about eight to nine points for home court advantage. This one, they went a little bit farther because Milwaukee's been looking so much better over the last few ballgames. But as I said on yesterday's podcast, and I maintain going into this one, the pressure has shifted. It's hard to close a team out. And I know the to get to the finals, you have to do it three times anyway. So it's not like either of these clubs is a stranger to close out games. But it's different when the actual championship trophy is on the line. So I want to break this down from both teams' perspectives. First Milwaukee and then Phoenix. On the Bucks side... You got some really good performances in their game in Phoenix on Saturday. Drew Holiday had his best game of the finals, maybe his best game of the playoffs. Middleton was good again. He's been better after a couple of really quiet ones to start this series. Giannis was good again. He's been able to pretty much get what he wants after being on kind of a minutes being on a minutes cap or a regulator or whatever in game one of the finals, but he's made some really good adjustments against the way Phoenix is defending him. And there's kind of nothing the Suns can do to slow him down. What Phoenix needs is for Middleton and Drew Holiday to not play as well. I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because I don't think it's fully out on a limb to say you probably don't get as good a game from either one of those guys or even potentially both, in this closeout game? Who's going to be the guy throwing daggers? If I had to guess, I'd say Middleton has a better game than Drew. I don't know. Maybe it flips. Maybe they both stink. Or maybe they both have fantastic ballgames. If that's the case, Milwaukee's going to win going away. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I want to kind of put that into juxtaposition, and I know that they're going back home, so... That would normally indicate role players, guys like Portis, Connaughton, whoever, those guys might actually have slightly better ball games, but they haven't needed to take many shots. That game in Phoenix, the Bucks had 87 shots, and the big three took 66 of them. Woo! So I don't think it really comes down to the, the other guys on Milwaukee. They are three... And then a laundry list of dudes that if they get anything from, it's just gravy. Phoenix is built a little bit more like your traditional basketball team where there's a couple of superstar level players. You'd say Booker, well, Chris Paul, and then Devin Booker probably right below him. 
And then it's a bunch of guys you'd consider very, very good role players. DeAndre Ayton is a really good big man role player. He plays his part on that team. Mikel Bridges, same kind of thing on the wing. Jay Crowder, the 3 and D good role player. Those guys tend to be better at home than on the road, with maybe an exception of Crowder, who's kind of been there enough where the road stuff is not going to impact him the same way it does uh, maybe some of these other guys. I, ultimately, I think they'll be fine because Phoenix tends to get whatever shot they want in their offense, and it's why they've shot 48, 49, 50% or better in a lot of these basketball games. The thing that was helping Phoenix along through the first two ball games of this series was that the Bucks just couldn't hit their shots, and even in game four, Milwaukee couldn't hit their shots, and Phoenix missed a golden opportunity to go up three games to one. That's the one they'll be looking back on if the Suns lose the finals is how did we not win game four when we vastly outplayed Milwaukee but turned the ball over 20 times or whatever it was, 200 times, and Milwaukee turned it over like four, and that was the game. If you, if you pivot that turnover battle even a little bit towards an even 50-50, the Suns win game four. I mean, that was it. That was the whole ball game. Game six, with the pressure shifting, means you're going to get, I don't want to say extra effort, because it's the finals, but you get a little bit more out of Phoenix, and you get a little bit tighter shooting, and you get a little bit more careful. There isn't going to be as much riskiness to the passes. I mean, there will be stretches in the ballgame where the two teams open it up for a minute or two, things kind of get away from them. But then there will be like back-to-back turnovers or a couple of dunks, and someone's going to take a timeout. Because neither coach is going to let this game start to slip away from them in, on either side. So that's why I don't really much care for the side in this game, because even if the Suns come out and throw an early haymaker to, to kind of say, look, we're not done yet, there's, there's just a lot of basketball, and a lot of things can change to where Phoenix may go so heavy early that they begin to run out of gas a little bit in the field goal percent. Does it come down, or is their defense lag, or whatever? There's too much ball game to say, well, Suns get off to a good start, and that means they're going to cover. I don't think it's quite so simple. What I do think is that teams are going to be extraordinarily cautious with the basketball. You're not going to see a ton of runouts, and if you do, you're going to see someone stop the game. No one is going to want to let the other team get two easy buckets in a row. It just won't happen in an elimination finals game unless the ball game gets away. If either team goes up by 15 or 20, you're going to see the other team speed up to try to catch up in the basketball game, and that's the kind of thing that can push this thing to an over. But I think from a game script perspective, if we assume the Bucks don't shoot the ball as well in Game 6 as they did in Game 5, Phoenix continues to get the decent looks they've been getting, uh, then you probably put an eye on the under. At least that's the direction I'm leaning in in Game 6. I like the under a little bit, and I like the side not at all. We shall see. Should be fun. Let's crack open the Eastern Conference, shall we? Let's do it. I had absolutely no strong feelings on, on where do we where to actually open up so I just went to Miami I don't know why I just took our talents to South Beach I just figured like let's just go to the bottom corner of the Eastern Conference and maybe we'll work our way up whatever 
Miami is an interesting one because they actually have a fair amount of money coming off the books and some decisions to make on where to potentially allocate or reallocate those funds. The only Heat players officially signed for this coming NBA season are Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Precious Achua, Casey Opala, and Omer Yurtseven, who I honestly hadn't even heard of before like six minutes ago, and even his contract is not guaranteed. So really, take him off the board. KZ, Precious, Tyler, Bam, and Jimmy. That's it. Now, admittedly, two of those guys are the big money guys. Between Jimmy and Bam, you're at $65 million of contracts already. The other ones that I just mentioned, not much. Hero, Achua, uh, Opala, those guys are... A combined eight and a half million dollars. The Heat do have team options on Goran Dragic. Uh, Dragic, excuse me, lose my mind here. Goofball Tuesday, I guess. Uh, and Andre Iguodala. Dollars to donuts. They do not exercise a fifteen million dollar option on Andre Iguodala. So let's assume his fifteen is coming off the books. Uh, Dragic, I think they probably take his $19 million deal and exercise it. I assume because they have the cap space and because he's actually been really important to them when healthy and particularly important come playoff time. That's where he's done his, his best work. The other stuff that's a little bit goofball with Miami, and it's really only one main thing, but they're... All right, you lump a few stuff in. Are the guys that are coming off the books that they probably want to retain? I would say top priority. Well, that list right now, as I see it, is Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and Victor Oladipo. Those are the three guys with expiring contracts that the Heat are probably going to want to bring back in some capacity. That's not to say that Trevor Ariza whose contract's off the books, they wouldn't want to bring him back. But if they did, it would be on a veteran's minimum. Nemanja Bielica, they probably don't care much. Dwayne Dedman, like these are guys that maybe they consider bringing back, but they're not going to be guys that are cap space kind of guys. Oladipo, Nunn, and Duncan Robinson, those guys are cap space guys. Or you have to put some funds aside, and it's not going to be a veteran minimum. I don't know what those guys make. This coming year, I don't know enough about contracts or the way teams are spending right now to say, oh, this is what it's going to be. What I do know is that they're going to do what they have to do, I would think, to get Duncan Robinson back. He was actually and and has been and, and admittedly, his season didn't go, I would say, according to plan. But as the year wore on, he got better and he played 30 plus minutes pretty much every single game and he played every single game which was a a distinct rarity in the NBA right now so while his per game output was in the 130 some odd range his totals output was far beyond that Duncan Robinson was actually inside the top 80 by totals this year pretty remarkable when you consider per game he was 133 Moreover, the reason I'm highlighting Duncan Robinson so much is that I think he's a guy that 
a lot of us drafted around 100, assuming he would just sort of coast in near that point this season, and you wouldn't have to think about it very much. Unfortunately, and it's hard to know if this is going to be the norm or if this was the one-off, his field goal percent went down by three season over season. Even those minutes and shot attempts both both went up. That's the kind of thing you're like, oh, great, this is this is a good thing for us. His field goal percent went down, and so suddenly you're not getting this magical three-point shooter who gets you four threes a night while not hurting your field goal percent anymore. You're getting a very good three-point shooter who gets you three and a half threes, but is now kind of hurting your field goal percent. Not a lot, but a little. Also, free throw percent went down from 93 to 83, and it's hard to know if that was real or the mirage. I'm willing to give Duncan the benefit of the doubt. That's where I'm at with Duncan Robinson. He's not someone that you're going to have to spend on on draft day, and that's probably why I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll be there around pick 105 to 120 if he's back in Miami, and he'll get his 10 shots a game, and he'll get his nine three-point attempts per game. And I'm willing to bank that the Duncan Robinson we saw over basically like the last 20 games of the year, I guess it was even less than that, wasn't it? It was like the last 10? Was it even that? I mean, he went through this really nice stretch, and then he went through kind of a bad one again. I mean, I guess it's... I guess we can just safely say that Duncan Robinson is probably more like a 44, 45% shooter than 47. But I do also think, and and again, there's there's a limited sample size element to a lot of this stuff. The free throw percent dropping into the low 80s feels some like something he could fix. And he makes a lot of sense as a head-to-head target because he's so durable. There isn't a truckload of upside with Duncan Robinson, and so I know you guys count on me to do a lot of the Roto analysis. Uh, From the Roto standpoint, he's probably not that useful. He's a specialist. You probably deploy him. uh, Maybe you deploy him in in really good matchups, but it's also hard to know when he's going to have one of those games where he just kind of catches fire and hits six to nine three-pointers or whatever it is. Those games come at weird junctures like he had a big one against uh charlotte and you know then he had a a good one against atlanta and then a terrible one against atlanta then uh i mean some of it is a little bit predictable i guess he had big ones against houston sacramento oklahoma city so he is a guy that you could say look i'm gonna throw him out there when i think the matchups are great but that's tough man it's really tough to get cute with a player like that Still, I like him as a head-to-head guy. I think you can get him in that 120 range, and if he's going to play almost all 82 games again, that'll get him inside the top 100 by totals, and he's going to be a dude who lifts you a bit in three in threes in your head-to-head league, less so in Roto. I'm a bit on the fence with Kendrick Nunn because he actually had a better per-game output this year than Duncan Robinson did. Nunn played in 56 of their 72 games, averaged 15 points, three boards, almost three assists, a steal, really good percentages this year, 49 from the field, 93 at the free throw line, and just did wonderful fill-in work when generally it was Victor Oladipo and Goran Dragic were missing time. 
I think Dragic is back. And I think they probably try to bring Victor Oladipo back. Although it's really hard to know what kind of a contract he could actually get at this point. I don't see how you... Well, I mean, this this is a tough one to break down. So let's do Victor Oladipo here, because Kendrick Nunn and Victor Oladipo are, to me, inextricably linked on this team, especially if Dragic's option is exercised. But he's going to miss time. Dragic always misses time. And then Oladipo's going to miss time because he's coming back from injuries, so they're going to be a bit gentle with him. Which makes me think that there probably will be another track for Kendrick Nunn to hover around the edge of the top 100. I think I'm just not willing to bank on Kendrick Nunn shooting the ball that well again from everywhere. You know, he shot 44% his rookie season from the field, 85% of the free throw line. I think it's probably safe to say he's a good foul shooter at this point. But, boy, 44% from the field jumping to 48 and a half with your three-point numbers actually, actually going up as a fraction of your overall shots? He was a behemoth on two-pointers this year, and I just... Don't see how that possibly sticks. Kendrick Nunn shot 58% from two this season after 50.5% last year. That just, I, it doesn't add up. So a no. Kendrick Nunn's going to get a no from me. If he can replicate that level of production from two-point land another year, fine. Great. You take your top 100 guy and you roll with him all the way to the bank. But if that's the upside, the downside is not rosterable. And then on the Victor Oladipo front, let's say Miami does re-sign him because Victor apparently turned down a bunch of money and now probably won't be getting nearly as much because he's just a dude that can't stay healthy anymore, and that's super sad, but it is the case. What is he to this team if they bring him back? Does he see a full complement of minutes if he actually gets himself into the mix? With... uh, Indiana this year, Oladipo played nine games, 33 minutes a game, averaged 26 and 4 with 1.7 steals, 42% from the field, and 73% at the free throw line. In Houston, he played 20 games intermittently a bit, averaged 21 points on 41% shooting, 78% at the free throw line, five boards, five assists. For Houston, 1.2 steals. In Miami, he only logged four games before shutting her down for the season, and they weren't very good. He only took 11 shots a game, 12 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 1.8 steals. That was swell, but uh, some of that felt a bit lucky. And again, sort of the, the limited sample size, you can't take a whole lot away from that. Is that the Victor Oladipo that plays for the Heat next year as the third fiddle behind Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo? If so, 12 points, 3.5, 3.5, and a big steals number, that's great and all, but horrible percentages, that's not going to get it done. The shame of it all, too, is that as we got towards the beginning of this season and we stopped hearing about Victor Oladipo trade rumors, I actually started to warm up to him, so I ended up with him in one spot, and that was not good. Ugh. Also, apparently, he's not expected to be cleared for full contract work until after opening night. That's the latest update on him. I don't know if how this is all going to play out between now and then. But if he's not ready to go on opening day, I don't see how you draft him anywhere. So Victor Oladipo is a big, fat, red X right across your fantasy board. Or he should be, at least. So Duncan Robinson is a head-to-head option. Victor Oladipo is not an option. 
Goran Dragic is not an option. I don't know how many times we need to go down this road. The dude is a bad percentages guy who gets no defensive stats. He has this, like, one big game every 15, and people just assume he's been great the whole way through. No! Same story for Tyler Hero, who, by the way, he does have a path to fantasy value, but it would require no Oladipo and no Goran Dragic. Those guys are going to need to be gone so that Hero can take 14, 15, 16 shots a game. Usage is his only path to value because he doesn't get steals and blocks. And if, and I mean, to Hero's credit, he rebounded a little bit better this year, but three and a half assists is not going to be enough from a guard to really move the needle. We need him taking another two shots per game, probably, so that he's averaging more like 17 and a half, 18 points, two and a half, three pointers, five boards, three and a half assists. And then you've got your sort of prototypical not super efficient shooting guard type line, which puts him in that top 100 type territory. The upside there that who, I don't know if people are talking about Tyler Harrell upside, but there isn't much as long as he's not the lead horse. We need him taking a truckload of shots to hit any kind of upside. Again, because his free throw percent is fine, but it's not helpful. His field goal percent is a big negative and his defensive stats are a big negative. Where's the upside? He's not going to rebound more. Points, threes, assists. That's where the upside lies, and that means he needs to play a ton or really get a ton of shots. That's not happening so long as the players around him remain heavily unchanged. If they are changed heavily, then our assessment can also change heavily. Let's talk about the two Miami superstars before wrapping things up on today's show. Jimmy Butler is coming off an absolutely brilliant campaign. He missed 20 ball games, which is brutal, and we knew that type of thing was going to happen because this team went to the finals last year, so anybody that went deep into the bubble, the expectation was that guys were not going to make it to within 60 ball games of the total, or rather within 12 games of the total and basically clearing 60. A couple of guys did. Uh couple of regulars Duncan Robinson played 72 Bam played 64 those are really the guys who the regulars who played more than 60 games Andre Iguodala also makes the list Precious Achua believe it or not actually played in 61 games but that's sort of neither here nor there so on the Jimmy front we knew he was going to miss a ton of ball games and I believe for that reason he was falling to like 20 in some drafts which was wild because this is a guy that when healthy is a top 10 fantasy player. As the alpha on a team, at the very least. And he was wonderful. He was everything and then some this year. This might have been the best single season of Jimmy Butler's career. With, you could run it up against that, like his last year in Chicago. But even then, his efficiency wasn't where it was this season. 50% from the field this year for Butler. That's just, that's remarkable. And he just basically cut out all the three-pointers. Said the hell with it. 86% high-volume free throws. Seven boards, seven assists. That was a career high. The rebounding was a career high. The steals was a career high for a full season. He was amazing. I'm kind of a Jimmy Butler believer. Like, I think you could make a pretty reasonable case for him to be a first-round pick next year. Especially, and it's going to depend a bit on what Miami does in free agency. If they spend their money somewhere else 
and bring in a a strong caliber player, or maybe they can put a package together and go get someone like a Bradley Beal, who probably takes some stuff away from Butler, but also probably inspires him to play in more like 85 to 90% of his team games for chemistry purposes. Then you get a guy who maybe gets close to that ADP. It would take a hit, obviously, if someone like Beal came around. But from a total standpoint, maybe it wouldn't be quite the drop-off we saw this year. I'm super interested in where Jimmy Butler gets drafted next season. Because for a really long time, he was going in that 10 to 15 range. And and this year he fell back. But next year, I'm guessing he probably goes back into that chunk. And that, to me, feels like a wonderful place to take him. I would take Jimmy Butler on the turn in a heartbeat. And I'm betting that's where he goes. Meanwhile, Bam Adebayo is an interesting test case because he finished at number 12 by totals, 19 by averages, thanks to him playing just a couple more games than the league average fantasy player did. 19 points, 9 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 1.2 steals, 1 block, good field goal percent, a free throw number for Bam that started off in the stratosphere, it was so good, and then leveled off as the season moved along. And this is something I think people really need to take note of. Adebayo, it's not that his free throw percent got bad as the season went on, but he was in the mid-80s for basically like the first three months of the year and then toppled into the mid-70s for the last chunk of the season. And that actually does play a pretty significant role in his fantasy value. He's not a guy... So let's be very clear about what, we're, what we mean when we talk about Bam. He's not a guy that's going to be bad from a fantasy perspective. Um, last year, for instance, he averaged 16 and 10 with five boards over a steal, 1.3 blocks, but only 69% at the free throw line. This year, he went up to 80% at the free throw line. I don't think that 80% sticks. I think he comes back to earth a little bit. If that's the case... The only thing it really changes is that Bam goes from being a mid-second rounder to more like an early third. So take him from from 80% free throw shooting down to like maybe 75, 76 instead, and it does then become a slight negative. The rest of his stuff is so powerful, and guys are far enough apart in those first couple of rounds, just in terms of how value is calculated, that he won't fall as far as you might think. But I do believe he falls a little bit. Still, the other side of the equation is, now Adebayo gets basically a full offseason of rest. And he is, by all accounts, one of the most durable players in the NBA. Because prior to this season, where he got like a week off between the finals and this year, he had played in every game for like two and a half straight seasons. One of those was behind Hassan Whiteside, so the minutes weren't quite as high. But he played in every game before the shortened one last year. And then, like, blew out his shoulder in the bubble and played through it for the most part. This is a dude who just plays through stuff. He's tough. So when you're talking about when would you take a guy like a Bam Adebayo, I don't think his per-game output is a second-rounder again next year. He was number 19 this season. I think he's probably in the 25 to 30 range next year. But 
And, like, you can go back to last season when he shot 69% at the free throw line. He was number 44, and his other stuff wasn't that different from this year. He scored a little bit better. So you, if you add on a, an extra two points per game, that takes him from, like, 44 to 40 or so. But the big difference is 11 percentage points at the free throw line. From being the biggest negative on his fantasy impact to basically a net neutral, it jumped him from 40, from 40 to 20, effectively. So take away part of that, and you don't fall quite all the way back to number 30, but most of the way there. That's why I said that 25 to 30 range. But he probably plays in 79 out of 82 games next year. They probably force him to rest three times, and he's like, nah, I'm going to play in every other damn ball game because he's got the 10th category. And if you draft someone at the end of the second round, say you have picked 23, you take Bam... He's number 30 on a per-game basis, but he plays 79 ball games. He ends up as a win. So I actually like Bam Adebayo going into next year. I think he quietly had a solid fantasy season that I didn't really hear anybody talking about. Where with Jimmy Butler, you're going to get some missed games. It's just going to happen. Uh, and that makes him a little bit of a tougher sell in head-to-head. He's going to be a great roto pick on the turn. Adebayo... I wouldn't say completely the opposite side of the coin because I think he'll still be... Like, you want to take a guy who has... If you draft a guy at 23 and he finishes at 30 on a per-game basis in Roto, but he plays every game, that's still a win. In head-to-head, it's a huge win. Because if you get somebody who plays all 82 games at a a third-round or better clip, no matter when you got them, that's a good thing. So Butler, I think he'll have a predictably strong year next season probably a better pick in Roto than head-to-head because of missed games. Bam, he'll have a good season, probably slightly better in head-to-head than Roto because of not missed games. Victor Oladipo, I don't think you can draft him because of injury. Tyler Hero, I don't think you can draft him because someone else will, and he's not going to get the 15, 16 shots he needs. Duncan Robinson, head-to-head late pick to shore up your three-pointers, and he'll probably play most of the ball games as well, but not super into him on the Roto side. And that, ladies and germs, is your Miami Heat. Sign up for the HoopBall loyalty program. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. Let me know if you'd like to start a podcast with us here at HoopBall. And if you'd like to open up and start betting with our buddies at MyBookie, let me know on Twitter. Just shoot me a note at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Say, Dan, I want to try out betting. I will open an account and I will make your first deposit for you. Yep, I'm just that dumb. Have a great Tuesday, everyone. Enjoy the finals. If this is the end of the NBA season, well, our job doesn't change very much tomorrow, does it? Have a good one. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.